I'm shocked how Madrid didn't follow him because not only had a pretty good look in the situation where you're down by and free. I know that there was Eddie Tavares in France, so the gap, you know, is different compared to some other bigs. But still, to let them shoot that three for James Nunnally, to, to waste like five seconds of not following Exum, that was crazy. Uh, he was, I mean, yeah, Tavares was there, but uh, in my eyes, that was a open shot for, for, for Nunnally. I mean, I, I Tavares, mean, Tavares did not want to switch, which is normal in, you know, which is the usual option in these late game situations, you switch. But since they really don't switch with Tavares, only really late if the guard goes inside. So, so he kind of backed down and he was like pointing a finger for someone to pick him up. And, and, and he contested the shot uh, late uh, after seeing that, you know, oh, suddenly no one is near Nunnally. So that was a, such a good shot for Partizan and could have been a complete uh, game changer. Yeah, and it felt like there were no directions from Madrid's uh, bench, you know, to follow Exum. I was surprised. It felt like Real Madrid players were also kind of confused what to do. Uh, I'm, I want to go to another point, Im like, immediately, but since you said, you know, it felt like Madrid's players did not really know what to do and there were no directions, they played a lot of zone yesterday. And it was, to me, probably the together with Nigel Williams-Goss and Walter Tavares, the main thing of that game, why they won it. But there were um, possessions where Madrid's players, for example, four guys are standing in zone defense and one guy is like, oh, so which which uh, which zone, which, which uh, defense we are using right now, individual or zone defense? And even with this kind of communication, and there were like three instances like this. It's a sideline out-of-bounds play, Four guys are standing in in the zone, and I, or Janan Musa, or it doesn't really matter who. You know, one guy is just looking around which which defense we are running. Even with that, you know, Partizan couldn't really took advantage, and uh, against against that zone defense. So yeah, mis a lot of mis miscommunications for Real Madrid. So a lot of room for for improvement for them. But I'm seeing this from since the beginning of the series. So you could even say Real. There were some possessions where they got lucky, obviously. You know, Partizan missed some great shots mm. against the zone. Mm. But also zone defense was, the, to me, the biggest game changer, you know, from a tactical standpoint. Yeah, so hello everyone. Let's start the official part of the Urbanos <laughs> podcast. Augusto uh, Shulauskas and Donatos Urbanos, we're here to share our hot takes following morning after two crazy games in, in Belgrade and Tel Aviv. Two playoff, really, playoff, two playoff battles. And I mean, I hope our BN Plus member Mota won't be mad on me uh, because I will repeat his words in our WhatsApp community chat. But Mota said that he asked, or no, he stated that I would trade short to regular season for playoffs and semifinals and finals. I think that's, I, I think that's true. I think that's everybody would agree with just a bit shorter regular season and just extending this playoff madness to the semifinals and the finals. Definitely, both fans' experience, both the intensity of all games, basically, just proves that it's it's a way better product than just a short weekend tournament with the top four teams deciding the champions in two games, basically. I can't agree more to this. I would love to see playoff series all the way to the finals. Uh, I would sacrifice re some regular season games if we have if we have to do it. I mean, just. 
I was I was thinking exactly the same thing uh, watching yesterday Partizan and Real. You know, a single elimination. Yeah, you could see the plan of each coach. Yeah, you could see the greatness of of, of players. You know, of one maybe two or two individuals in one game. But what a series gives you is like one player winning one game, being the X factor. Then the one coach maybe showing something new, interesting, winning that game. Then maybe some little plays like Donatas Motiunas won uh, against Maccabi. That plays when or little plays wins you, wins you games, and then maybe the other coaches respond, and then another X factor comes, and it's just such a great product to watch and enjoy, and to cover, and uh, no single elimination games or you know, I'm not putting Vasilya Mitic game winner higher than than the series we are having right now because sim- simply you know it's 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 a one shot here are you seeing so many different things and it's just great to watch yeah i i also had few quick thoughts after experience experiencing this great drama uh, that we had uh, yesterday first of all i would say that i'm super happy that the line wasn't crossed especially in belgrade with this you know under these circumstances uh, with both situations being at the top of the intensity and 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 the drama and the emotions uh, boiling over, uh, I was I was really I mean and credit goes to both organizations. First of all, the police authorities that made this game super safe, at least looking from a side. Uh, and I would say that what Partizan did with the communication, starting from the press conference in Madrid already, Jelko Bradovic making those statements about you know fans, uh, encouraging fans to be, uh, okay, emotional, supportive for their team, but not violent. Then you see Partizan and uh, uh, Madrid front office having a dinner or lunch together, mm-hmm. sending this mes- message also on the social media. Uh, then there was this banner uh, before the game, you know, basketball uh, unites people and, and stuff like that. <laughs> I, I don't mean, know. I've, it was kind of funny to me that... that I mean, it looks was... funny, but they, they used all measures... I, I, I know what they were trying to, to do. You know, exactly. to send the message, send the message to yeah. keep it only basketball, basketball. related. So... That's huge, and also credit goes to some players. In for instance, maybe I'm just overthinking the situation, but there was this play where Real Madrid went into the transition. Alex uh, Avramovic tried to block the shot, and he jumped. It looked like a pretty good block, but the referee uh, called a foul. The initial reaction of the fans, like, oh my God, what a bad call uh, it was. They, they thought that it was a clean block by Avramovic. Watching on TV, you could also feel that I need to watch the replay to make sure mm-hmm. what has happened. In the first second, just getting down on the on the floor, Alexa Vnavich shows the finger and accepts the foul. Because, and why I think this play was important. Having this hostile uh, crowd, having this huge support of 20,000 people is not just a great advantage to have in the playoffs, but it's also a huge responsibility. Uh, because... In any other situation, even if Avramovich just stayed neutral or, you know, tried to appeal the referee's call, he just could, you know, increase the level of unnecessary emotions. And as I just said in the previous pod, uh, reacting to this Monaco Maccabi game too, uh, usually it puts, it actually puts referees in, under more difficult uh, conditions to make the right call. So I think this is a huge uh, responsibility for the players, you know, to, to be fair. Uh, if there's um, 
if there's a need or if there's a reason to increase the intensity uh, in the crowd, that's okay. But it, it, then it's not necessary. It's your responsibility to try to control that crowd because at, at the same second when Avramovich accepted the, the, the call, I mean, everybody got silent. Everybody were cool. So mm. that's, that's a huge thing, I think. Talking about uh, referees, and I cannot not mention that yeah. that replay of the block slash goaltending slash obvious mistake by mm. by referees. I mean, you saw, we saw on a replay, you have the basket on which the shot is going up. Mm. You completely see Tavares hitting the rim and and moving it. So that's that's a goaltend. That's two points. And I don't know, but the refs decide to watch the replay from the other side of the court. I mean, I was like, what, what is going on? Why are they doing this? I mean, why they're choosing this one and they're going frame by frame. Uh, so you are not really seeing the movement from that far away. And, you know, two points decides happens to be the difference right. in this game. I'm not saying, you know, partisan would have won that game with those two points but it was it was a huge and call and a weird call f from experienced referees yeah. and and he and, and and the ref even said give me the control so like before before choosing the, which camera to to watch on so uh that was kind of weird but yeah that that was an obvious mistake but at the same time i think that the difference uh, of how refs controlled game 2 in both series maccabi monaco and partizan and madrid and in game three, I think it was huge. The ga both games were way better controlled than before, and it really helped, you know, to uh, again uh, getting back to this topic. It really helped uh, to keep the crowd mm. pretty calm. Uh, I would say under these mm. circumstances. Okay. The, the, the another short take I would uh, I wanted to say that those two games proved that home court advantage in the playoffs doesn't mean anything because <laughs> you couldn't put both home games in a more hostile circumstances knowing the giving mm. the pressure giving the history of, of game two and everything both teams won those games so i actually had those conversations in, in monaco with some players uh during the break break before uh, both games and they actually just said that i, I mean I mean, Monaco is the best example. The last year, they also won against Olympiacos and Piraeus, although they also have a great crowd. So, I mean, it's it's getting about the coaching adjustments, some mental adjustments that the players make. And this fan fan thing is it's amazing. I think that from choreography side, it was amazing performance by both Maccabi and Partizan fans. Yeah. The way they created pressure, especially in Tel Aviv, I mean, where, you know, the line was close to be crossed. I mean, it was huge to try to impact the game, try to affect the player's mentality. But I mean, mm. winning those games under these circumstances, it just proved that home court advantage is, is cool, but it's not a decisive factor at all. Uh, apart from Barcelona, uh What's the record of of home teams in, in these series? I mean, Barcelona. Barcelona well, even are, last year they they lost against Bayern. No, no, but so. I'm, I'm I'm talking about you know this year. They are mm. they are two zero, and the other team. Olympiacos you know, also lost to Fener. Olympiacos also lost to Fener, so that's one one. Uh, in partisan series, all three games are won by away teams, and uh, in Monaco series against Maccabi, two games are won by. So that's two wins and six losses. If I'm not wrong, mm, I'm bad at maps. Whatever, so. but but it's but it's they're winning every third every third game that by the, by a home team, mm. and even with Barcelona, the, the away team has won more times. 
Uh, anyway, uh, so a couple of points I wanted to talk about from Partizan. Real yeah, game. because these were my just general yeah. feelings uh, after uh, both of these games, and let's go deeper to mm. Partizan and and Real Madrid. Game. I mean, you know, before talking about individuals, I just wanted to to mention the zone defense again. I think it really, um, you know, every time Real switched to zone defense. It was a shock for Partizan, a, l- a little bit of shock. Jelko was prepared. There were some nice plays, how to get the ball into the middle, into the paint, how to get some open, open freeze. Uh, they worked, but uh, Partizan didn't convert on those in the first half. After that, you know, it's hard to run maybe the, the same plays and it's hard to play your offense when it's like t- two possessions, they play zone defense, then they go to individual, then they go back again to zone. So it was kind of, you know, some chaos in partisan offense. It definitely, it definitely impacted uh, their offense a lot. Uh, I want, I want to see what you know what Jelko will do going forward, how he will adjust. And the interesting thing is that, you know, the first line of defense of Real's defense can be overly aggressive. Why? Because you have Walter Tavares in the paint. So usually you don't want if you're playing zone defense, you don't want the ball to go inside and in the middle. You don't want the ball to go here. But with Real Madrid having Tavares there, they actually force the guards to go inside. And you you see Dante Exum driving in, seeing Tavares and then jumping and passing it out. And the yeah. and the advantage is dead, you know. You see you see guys going in, trying to shoot, they get blocked. And and or exactly they getting the ball in the middle of the on, on the free throw line. Everyone else is denied because Tavares is in front of him and Lide is just shoot sh- shooting there but neither it's good offense nor it's you know a comfortable shot for him because he sees Tavares standing in front so it's uh it's really inter- interesting for me how they will adjust uh and uh basically this this zone defense the best example was the start of four, fourth quarter plus 5 for Real Madrid I think 68-63 uh two possessions Real goes to man to man defense Five points for Partizan in two possessions. They switch back to zone. They're like three dry possessions for Partizan in, in a row. They try to do something, but in the end, it's either not a good shot or or, or they are forced to force the turnovers and and stuff like that. So that was one thing. Uh, what, what 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 were your points? My first initial reaction was actually uh, maybe it was because I got so close to Monaco and Maccabi series that I decided to watch the full game in Tel Aviv before uh, switching on on this partisan game mm. although probably the 90% of, of of Europe were watching this game but that's good because we are you are watching that series live I'm watching the other series live so yeah and I basically the game has ended and and I I jumped into this uh, Belgrade's game and it was like 3 minutes left the the score was almost tie I think that not only made this three pointer to give uh, partisan some lead but Real huge, tied the game again three and I'm I'm watching that uh, the end of the game, and I'm like, has this feeling? God, I believe they're missing Kevin Punter so badly. Mm. And it was my initial thought, like watching the game, like with, from three to two minutes uh, to play until the final uh, whistle. And then they keep missing shots, and they ended up missing seven of their last eight eight field mm. goals. I wouldn't say that all of those shots were bad shots. 
uh, they were lacking some luck. For example, Trifunovic uh, tipping not only has uh, some uh, great look, also Hezonia made some huge defensive rebound when it felt like the ball yeah. was already going in. So it's not like they, these were uh, bad shots, but in the crunch time, I mean, you see the main guy, the main star sitting on the bench and it, 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 the game couldn't give a better example how yeah. much Partizan missed Kevin Punter. You know, it, there's a saying, the ball gets heavy in, yeah. in the crunch time. Yeah. And you could see that you mentioned uh, those good misses. There were the, there was this possession where I think Alan Smilagic misses an open free. Uh, yeah. They get, he, that's, that's a great shot for Partizan. He misses. He is... He was. He hasn't missed. Uh, wait until the third quarter of yesterday's game. I think he was perfect from three point line, five or five or something, or or five or six, whatever. And then in the fourth quarter, he misses that three pretty badly. It bounces off the backboard first. Then they got an offensive rebound. Then Yamadar misses a three from the forty five angle, where usually you know Kevin Punter is there and he's you know. I would I would love to, if I'm partisan I would love to have Kevin Ponder shooting that in in that situation but the ball got heavy and what Real did they asked Alan Smilagic and Yamadar to hit those big shots to basically close the series and clinch the final four and it's not I don't think they are these players you know are are used to doing this to these big shots to these big moments so it was it wasn't really a surprise for me they missed and uh you know not having Pe Kevin Ponder for game 4 and if it's a close game, I'm probably again betting on on, on Real Madrid, just be, just because you know Kevin Punter is not there, and uh, so it, Partizan will need a player to step up in these in these big moments if they are having you know a close game again. So another thing I saw was finally Real Madrid adjusted to uh, Partizan attacking Tavares. Mm -hmm. I was shocked how they allow these pick and pop situations to affect their game so much. And yesterday in the second half, they finally decide to, you know, guard follows over and then they do a late switch or a peel switch, whatever you want to call mm. it. And guard just simply when they pass out the ball to the, to the popping smile luggage, the guard goes and, and they do a late switch, you know. And they were not doing this. They were involving a third defender for three, basically two and a half games. And they were, and Smilagic were killing it. And, and, you know, passing it out, making threes, driving. And, and suddenly, you know, you have a switch, you have a guard against Walter Tavares, and it's never easy to score in ISO situation against Tavares. You saw James Nunnally getting blocked uh, in one of those situations. We saw Alan Smilagic losing the ball, trying to, you know, drive from perimeter against the guard. So, you know, finally, Finally, they adjusted something. They changed and they saw uh, how to stop this pick and pop, which has been killing them basically for 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 three games. So, uh, you know, now I think the you know the ball is yeah. in Obradovich's court, and and you know, obviously Matias Lazor is coming back, so the game will be different. But but finally, Real has found some something that's that's that that worked. Yeah, and I mean, huge credit goes to Eddie Tavares. I mean, 26 points, 24 of those points in the last three quarters, 11 rebounds, three assists, three blocks, 41 efficiency ranking, career high, and one of the best uh, playoff uh, uh, marks all time. Only uh, Alfonso Ford and I think Carlton Mars had, uh, the record is 45, so he mm -hmm. was very he close, was close to the all-time high. And I think that, you know, 
watching the, the impact that Tavares did on both ends of the floor uh, and knowing the, again, conditions that he was forced to play through, uh, knowing he actually played when he was hurt. He, he was still hurt from the injury that he suffered uh, in game one. And the situation was so serious that the initial reaction was that Tavares might be out for the rest of the uh, season, both in the EuroLeague and ACB. Maybe more in the EuroLeague, maybe, you know, keeping some hopes for the uh, ACB finals. But still, the initial uh, medical uh, projections were that the injury was serious. Then uh, they checked and it wasn't a sprained knee. Uh, but some uh, huge, uh, b- without, without any damage to ligaments, but a pretty tough bump, which still affected Tavares' game. And in some situations, you could think that Tavares was actually limping on the court, but he still managed to play 35 minutes, 35 high usage uh, minutes, uh, I would say. And I mean, his performance, his dominance on both on ends of the floor, it, it doesn't go on only on three blocks. The the number of shots he uh, changed uh, was huge. I, I wish to have some statistical category with shots changed or even air balls counting to blocks or something because, mm. because it was huge. And it might be some random stat, but for instance, uh, in game one and in game three, when Tavares was on the court, Partizan's two-point field goal percentage in game one was 45, in game three it was 49. When Tavares was out in game two, Partizan made all, almost 61% of uh, two-point field goals. And it also goes to the, your uh, takes about the zone defense uh, that Real Madrid uh, played and used uh, Tavares as a facilitator uh, in the mm. paid. But at the same time, you know, I just wanted to give a credit to the player who who is, I would say, one of the the toughest players in the Euroleague, uh, mm, giving the fact uh, the injuries he tries to play through. Because, for instance, uh, in the middle of the regular season, there was the situation where he sprained his ankle. And in a normal situation, he was also kind of uh, suggested by uh, Madrid staff you know, just take a few games off, like for three, for four games off, just to rest his ankle and, you know, just to come back uh, two or three weeks later. He played from the game one. I mean, he didn't want to, to rest. And I believe that in many situations, uh, if that was not Tavares, I'm not sure if that guy played in game three. But knowing it was Tavares, knowing it was Tavares and knowing that he missed game two, you could feel that the pain and the situation was just impossible to play mm-hmm. because he would play through any injury uh, that he's capable of playing off. So the impact he made was huge. I mean, he he alone scored almost uh, the same amount of points as the whole partisan front line. Lideis Malagic, Vukcevic, Koprivica, they scored 32 points, got 13 rebounds, one block, and once again, Tavares had 26 points, 11 rebounds and three blocks. So, and I would say that Partizan will make adjustments to stop Tavares as well. I don't think that they were physical enough. I don't think they were smart enough because, for instance, rephrasing the one smart guy on the sidelines of Partizan, four fouls to give. Hello, hello, (laughs) four fouls to give. So there were situations there they could have avoided Tavares dominating uh, both boards and just in the paint. And I believe that Lizor, although it's, one of the worst matchups for him in the playoff series, he will bring this physicality and intensity to make Tavares' life uh, tougher, just at least to avoid those easy points that Tavares uh, had enough. Uh, definitely. I think Matias Lesor will help 
immensely, you know, partisans defense because yesterday it was Tavares and just simply being too big, overpowering everyone. We saw Real Madrid scoring eight, nine, ten times. I don't know the exact number, but they were running the same pick and roll with him. And I was wondering, you know, why they're not giving the ball to Tavares maybe in the post. I know he's not a big, you know, post-up guy, but you have Alan Smilagic or, or Zach Lide defending uh, defending Tavares. So that's like, what, 20 centimeters of advantage. They were running this pick and roll. Alan Smilagic at the level of the screen. Tavares gets in behind. Law pass to him. And, you know, the help defenders are even smaller. So... He was he was scoring at will, just dunking and and if if Lide was in a drop, it's a lob pass and you saw that Aliyub dunk with the one hand doesn't doesn't really look doesn't look normal. It looks weird, at least from my point of view. But you know that's that was efficient offense. They were getting those points every time down down the road. Uh, so you know with with Real Madrid uh, figuring out how to guard partisans pop action against Tavares you know how do how do partisan move forward from this because partisan haven't figured out how to stop this pick and roll with Tavares hmm. neither in game one nor nor in game three so how do you adjust obviously Matias Lazor will will help so maybe that's an answer because he gives this physicality as you mentioned and another player we have to talk is Nigel Williams Goss yeah, I mean, we waited we waited for like 25 minutes yeah. or 30 minutes, I don't know the time, to say his name, but I was impressed with his intensity from the first minutes of the game, basically. I would say the first minutes of the game were trash for Nigel Willem Goss. I think that he kind of did some couple of mistakes or at least he kind of forced it was, some situations. And it, it was a it was a tough beginning for the entire Real yeah, team. 10, I mean zero, being down maybe after that zero ten, twelve ten, zero. I think. So I mean it yeah. was it was really tough, but he recovered this basically the entire Madrid team. It was that, that ten zero was basically you know Real Madrid suffering the consequences yeah. of what happened in the, in yeah. the last okay, game. I, I mean that arena was lit Janan Musa. That was the home court advantage. That was the you know, home court advantage. Ten for extra first, points for the yeah, first minute. Yeah, you know, you start the game 10-0. That's yeah. that's cool. You know? <laughs> and they're saying home court advantage doesn't help. So that was some, you know, just Janan Musa going straight into the defender. Uh, Sergio Yui throwing that bounce pass straight straight into into the out of bounds. Uh, so yeah, that was that. But but after that, Williams Goss his intensity on defense. Um, yeah. Basically, ten minutes of Alexa Avramovic erased because of of uh, his defense. His defense on on Avramovic. Uh, I think Avramovic was minus seven, and he he had an individual eighty four point offensive rating when he was on the court. That's a really low low number. Uh, and just being decisive on the offensive end, you know, making tough shots. Partisan risked on him. He made those shots when they went under. When they didn't go on ISO situations, that dagger yeah. in, in the in the last quarter, step back free, uh, tough shot, and and just basically pushing the ball in transition as well, you know, trying to get easier easier shots. Fantastic game by him. Uh, probably not the hero for Real Madrid. X one for would sure. have expected. So. Huge compliments for for yeah, Williams Goss for this game and the tough shots he made. Batman and Robin performance by Tavares and Nigel Williams Goss. I mean, he scored 16 points in the second half. 
on a great uh, field goal shooting, five from eight, one assist, one offensive rebound, very important in the fourth quarter, two steals, zero turnovers in the second half, best plus and minus in the second half. And, you know, partisan fans are called grobari, which means uh, grave diggers. And this former Grobari guy, Nigel Willem Goss, who played for Partizan, he was the Grobari uh, last night yes, for indeed. Partizan. So, so mm-hmm. yeah. Moving forward, there's this interesting thing that now Real Madrid will have Gabriel Deck back. And there's, of course, Matias Lazort back. And who do you think, you know, is in a advantage situation of these returning players? Because I have a feeling that as much as Lazort will help to deal with Tavares, as much as physicality he brings, athleticism he will bring to protect the paint, I also think that Deck has a huge impact in this series. And I would even say that maybe Deck's impact is, is bigger than Lazort's. First of all, if we are talking about suspensions, Yabuzela getting only five games, I haven't heard a single person that agreed with this. I've heard actually. I've talked with one GM... And, and he said that his main idea was that nobody got hurt. And but that's why. Why do you? Uh, why do you? Um, yeah, I agree. With think your point. of the situation by the results of it. Yeah. You know, you have to value the risk that the risk and, was and the, put in and the moves, not, not the result, because it could have ended way worse. It could have ended in. Uh, in, da- in Dante Exum injuring, I don't know, his back, his neck, whatever, you know, you can injure in when you're doing this this type of movement. And, you know, he only because he doesn't get hurt, you, su- you suspend him only for five games. Uh, I don't think I, that's... I'm that's not enough, advocating. So. I mean, I'm not advocating that take, but... Yeah, uh, but that's, uh, yeah, that's an interesting, you know, take to hear. So I just only, you know, disagree. Yeah. With, uh, with that one. But I mean... F- for me, five-game suspension sounds weak, uh, given the fact that Milos Tadosic was suspended for two games for In insulting referees. For then, trash-talking, basically, referees. Yeah. So, That's I two mean, games. that was an example that Yearly has to do something with, the, with their regulations because it basically doesn't make sense when you try to compare the, yeah. how, the seriousness of both uh, situations. Um, but another part was tricky. I mean, Yabusela, I mean, we could agree that, okay, he's out for the Euroleague season. Maybe he could have been suspended for more games, you know, at least to feel some impact for the next season. And I'm not, for for instance, I'm not sure if the 10-game suspension is, is, you know, is, is something really bad because it means that basically the, the next year you're going to miss not even one-third of the regular season. Mm. So it's... It's yeah. not like that that huge. But the other part, how to deal with the other guys? Kevin Punter having a two-game suspension, the other guys getting one. Tricky. And, I mean, Sergei, you getting away with, with nothing? I mean, I agree that he didn't throw any punch. And I agree that, I mean, when you think about the whole situation with all the emotions going down, you know, after getting a good sleep uh, during the weekend when you have to th- th- time to think about the whole situation, I mean... You could think that, okay, Sergio, you, you, he did this hard foul, but it was not his fault that Punter and some other guys, you know, reacted the way they reacted. And the thing that Sergio got away just not doing anything, not getting involved in this, the whole scuffle kind of mm. keeps him in a situation where he kind of deserved not getting suspended. At the same time, even in the yearly regulations, there, there's this article which says that for provoking or you know sparking some 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 
not, not like fights, but scuffles, you can also be suspended for, for games. And mm. I mean, I think that was a you know, huge <laughs> provocation. Uh, it would be fair to say that. And uh, although I hear those people advocating that he didn't do nothing, but I mean, he started all, all this thing. And I know that it could have ended just with, you know, players trash talking to each other face, but it ended how it ended. And it all started from Sergio Yu. So I, I'm, I'm not the guy who wants to keep the players out uh, of the games, but at the same time, I think that at least one game suspension would have been the right decision in this situation. Mm. I agree. Maybe maybe one game suspension for everyone and, and a bigger suspension for yeah. Yabuzeli. Yeah. But who will have a bigger advantage? I think Real Madrid, definitely. I think uh, not having Kevin Pointer uh, is a way bigger loss for Partizan than not having Gershon Yabuzeli. Especially mm -hmm. with Gabi Deck coming back. He was a big mi mismatch in game one. Partizan adjusted, made a better, much better job with him in, in game two. But I still think he is... He's, you know, he should be one of the main uh, catalysts of offense for Real Madrid in, in game four. And, uh, you know, I see Real Madrid, I saw Real Madrid, you know, adjusting to Partizan's game in game three. And uh, they will have even more options, I think, in game four. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the series goes back to... Mm -hmm. uh, Madrid for game five because I think just losing Kevin Punter for two games is is really harsh for Partizan. He's just such a big part of their offense and then you know he's their leader in in the, in the clutch moments. But again, Partizan were so close yesterday; they have a home court advantage. I don't believe it doesn't really affect you know the game, as you said, the players say it doesn't really mean anything. It, it does mean, I mean, that 10-0 run yesterday showed that that home court advantage means something. So it's going to be a really interesting game four. Just to conclude this part about the suspensions, uh, because it really affects the series with, without Kevin Punter in game four. Uh, I mean, we can actually speculate, we can discuss, we can talk what was the fair punishment and what was not fair. But again, I think it all goes down to your league regulations because, I mean, if we would have clear regulations, if we would have cl clear explanations why the players suspended this mm. way, it would be way easier. And thinking about the situation, I thought that, for instance, let's look at our bigger brother. If that was the NBA, I easily see Adam Silver the following morning, the following day, uh, doing a press conference, mm. um, explaining the situation, uh, explaining the way it hurt the image of the EuroLeague. Uh, explaining the fines. Explaining the fines with the maybe disciplinary judge who could make arguments behind all those situations. Uh, the same with Sergio Yui. I mean, I saw later that probably it was the journalist's request to explain why Sergio Yui got away with not getting suspended. But I mean, it shouldn't work that way. The EuroLeague should address the situation, should address the issue, should also send a message like Partizan uh, did that, hey, guys, uh, no violence in Belgrade, just keep calm, just just not cross that uh, line. And, you know, it would be way easier. Okay, I, I still see a lot of fans disagreeing with those decisions, but at least there would be some communication from the EuroLeague. And I think that was, you know, I wouldn't call it epic uh, fight, but it was a, 
uh, one of the biggest fights that I remember in the all-time uh, yearly history. And this situation must have been addressed. I don't, I don't care. Is it a Zoom press conference or the <laughs> press conference in, held in Barcelona? There were media in Barcelona. So uh, Euroleague uh, as a serious, as the top European club basketball body in Europe, they should have addressed this situation in a different way. Uh, I would say so. I agree. So yeah, let's. Should we should we go to the to the other game? Uh, that's that's for sure. That was a, the real play of battle. What I saw yesterday in Tel Aviv, just a low scoring game, uh, defensive battle. Team, the best players of each team taking tough tough shots. I loved that Mike James started aggressive. I just. I think you know in a playoff series in a playoff series I could even compare his aggressiveness to what I saw in game 7 uh Golden State Sacramento. Steph Curry super overly aggressive from the first minutes of the game just taking shots, getting into the rhythm, getting into that zone and then after that punishing Sacramento throughout all 48 minutes. Mike James started amazingly. He set the tone for for the entire team and why I love this why I loved it even more was because uh, Maccabi could have easily went on a nice, easy run, just like Partizan did because of their crowd, because of the transition basketball. You know, they start, you know, with a 10, 10, 10 point lead and they would have been in front for all game. And Monaco would have, you know, climbed back into that game and, and um, you know, used their energy to come back instead it was mike james who set the tone it was monaco leading by 10 points i think four different times you know maccabi were trying to get back monaco again goes in front then they try to come back again monaco then again goes goes go on a 10-0 run i think 10-0 run hmm. were like three or four times for monaco yesterday so i love that mike was aggressive from the start killing josh nebo in iso situations after maccabi were switching decisive finally in this series taking these spot up three pointers after Maccabi stunting you know because before I saw other players kicking the ball out to him Mike James hesitating making a dribble and then taking a much harder shot instead of just spot up three which is you know in my eyes an easier shot so great game for for Mike James was super important to set the tone for the team and and then just you know be always in front because I think this was a must-win game for Monaco. You don't want to go in, into game four knowing that you must win this game. And now they're comfortable. They know that even if they lose, you know, they will have a game five back at home. So huge game for him. I think that it was the best Mike James half that I've seen from his playing time in Monaco. And not just, Ooh, not just because... Even, la even last season? Uh, the best half, uh, the yeah. first half particular. I'm trying to remember last year's not, playoff series. Not just because he had the highest scoring first half of his EuroLeague playoffs career uh, all time with 18 points uh, in, in, in 15 minutes, but the way he controlled the tempo of the game, calming down his team in situations where they needed this you know, calmness, uh, cold blood from their point guard. And the way he made tough shots I mean, there were a lot of contested shots, uh, but mostly the way he shared and gave this and sparked this confidence for the entire team, because, you know, having this crazy bus trip to Menorah Miftahim Arena was, was something for this. 
young team in terms of their playoff experience, besides of Mike James, there are only a couple, a few players that have a small, small yearly experience. That might affect, you know, you uh, before starting the series in, in the away court. And then having this, you know, shower of confetti uh, during the warm-up, uh, having, you know, Maccabi fans basically yelling in front of your face uh, before the tip-off, that's huge. That That's tough. And I think that Tel Aviv's crowd was even, was even more hostile uh, than Belgrade's in, in the game against Real Madrid because they were just closer and it felt like, you know, you could feel them way closer than this, I mean, 20,000 uh, fans mm-hmm. army in, in Belgrade. And in this situation, watching the first minutes of the game especially, it felt like all the guys were looking for Mike James. I mean, they were, uh, the shot clock was going down and like five seconds to play and everybody was just sharing the ball, not hesitating to take any place except from Jordan Lloyd, I would say. And they were all looking for Mike James and with his shot making, with his plays, with his uh, passing, he really calmed the team down. And you could say that, yeah, he scored three points in the second half, but the confidence, this confidence boost by his by his body language, by his confidence uh, confidence uh, on the court, kind of you know the team took it uh, something from it for the second half. And then we saw you know players like Elio Kobo, also Jordan Lloyd, Alpha Diallo, some some other guys. You know, oh, don't forget Donatas Mutunas. Donatas Mutunas, that's for sure. Uh, you know, having uh, I wouldn't say more guts, but having more confidence to make plays as well in the second mm. half, and they kind of took it over from Mike James, who set the tone, who was also, uh, I would say, solid defensively. I mean, he had to take a lot yeah. of uh, possessions uh, being attacked he, by Lorenzo Brown. Wait, both Maccabi, Maccabi was basically attacking through him all the first half, and he was doing a decent job, and I was really concerned how he gonna handle the second half because he was not just scoring on a crazy volume, but he was mm. also in, involved in the basically every defensive situation. Uh, and I would say he did good. He did a good job in the fourth quarter defensively, and uh, mm. I think all around, uh, including his offense and defense, including his body language, the mentality he brought and delivered to his teammates, that was the best Mike Jim, James version that I can remember. Mm. I just loved that he took 19 shots. He had 12 and 12 in games one and two. He had 19. I think Monaco needs uh, Monaco needs to continue playing this way with with him aggressive. And in my eyes, I see Monaco adjusting. Monaco have adjusted to Maccabi's this hard stun defense every time, either on pick and rolls or on ISO situations. I think Monaco are adjusting and they're making Maccabi pay for for these risks. Maccabi are doing a good job, you know, scrambling around the court, you know, helping each other and, and stuff. So it's still hard shots, but I think Monaco just are starting to feel comfortable with this defense, sharing the ball, cutting, maybe flare screening with, the, uh, you know, doing flare screens with the guys that can't really shoot, you know, John Brown doing a good job and finally starting to feel his uh, position on the court. So and on the other on the other side, you know, they they made Maccabi pay for the for these risks in the first half. Jordan Lloyd making threes like he has been doing since since game one, since game two, maybe after game one. Yeah, in game yeah, one he I scored meant, like I two meant, points. I meant yeah. I meant to uh, you know. Oh, after I mean game after one. game one. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I'm my bad. But 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 you know, I think that 
Maccabi were a bit different in the first half against Mike James. It felt like they put him in more situations to play ISO and they weren't stunting as much as they did before. And the difference in the second half was that they just threw like two or three people on Mike James just to stop him from making plays and kicking the ball out. I think that there was slight difference between mm. the defensive approach of Maccabi. I think it was also, you know, Obradovich's way of getting James these ISO situations with how the... Uh, other players are spaced out. You have basically two mm. guys down and two guys in the corners. So it makes it really hard uh, to stunt from the corners because it's an open shot. So Mike could have just drove, drive past through Nebo quite uh, a few times. And, you know, if Monaco were able to make Maccabi pay for this, Maccabi weren't able to do that yesterday, you know. Mm, with aggressive defense on the pick and rolls against Brown and Baldwin. They play this short roll situation. They kick it out. Jarrell Martin, I think, missed three three-pointers in the first half. Uh, A lot of I good think shots. all three completely open. Uh, in the second half, what Maccabi did, they started in these situations, especially in the short roll situations. Instead of staying around the three-point line, they started cutting inside. So mm. you basically get a layup instead of an open three, mm. which is, you know... If you make a layup, that's much more higher percentage shot. So they got some points that way, but uh, but you know this this brick contest, I would call it, brick already contest. makes a, an effect in the series because, uh, as you mentioned, these situations and the short roll situations and uh, flipping from the open uh, corner free to the uh, mm. to the cut. Uh, I could say the same thing about Alpha Diallo, for instance. Uh, he can barely make a three-pointers in, in this series. He mm. made one from eight in, in three games. And you can see that he's also adjusting. He was hesitating in the beginning of the series. Now he's basically just making one or two steps forward and then taking <laughs> a mid-range a mid range in, instead of three-pointer, which is good for him. You know, he he's a better mid-range shooter than the three-pointer, at least for now, the way his mental state, you know, uh, dictates his shooting in the series. But you could feel that it also affects Jarrell Martin, as you mentioned. A lot of good looks, a lot of open looks. And Jarrell Martin's three-point shooting is even worse. Uh, I just had this number. I think that, yeah, he's one from 13. And there's a guy who should stretch the floor as a four-man, uh, making threes at 8%, although getting a lot of good looks. That's, you know, that's a huge... Uh, luxury for Maccabi to not to make those shots and I mean watching this series it's it's just crazy Maccabi made only 28 three-point shots uh 28 uh, percent mm. of sh shots beyond the arc Monaco's percentage is also 28 that's a very uh low percentage series you so know. far but you know the difference is that uh, it works for Maccabi so far because uh, Monaco, compared to the regular season, they increased their three-point shot attempts by six, which is quite significant. You know, mm. that's that's the um, place that you want if, if you're if you're mm. at Katash. But but yeah, I mean, watching Maccabi, I would say score, but the correct word would be not score from the three-point line. Kind of remind me the game one in Monaco with Maccabi having mm. a nightmare shooting night so it, a couple of three pointers by some decent shoot, shooters could have easily turned the game around so mm. that's why i think that this is not over yet and mm. i'm kind of anticipating game five in this series mm. and in the end we saw a little place basically decide the game mm. i mean playoff place 
playoff plays, those 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 little hustle hustle plays, 50-50 balls. This felt to me like a game seven, you know, atmosphere in the fourth quarter. Uh, Monaco had 12 offensive rebounds. I'm not sure how many in the fourth quarter, but it was Alpha Diallo offensive rebound, Dante Hall offensive Six. rebound. Six, Six in the fourth quarter. Wow. Yeah, that's why that's why I, I, I wrote this down. On seven missed shots. Six offensive rebounds. Wow. Yeah. And uh, it was Diallo offensive rebound after Mike James got uh, in the fast break, tipping tipping the ball in. Matunas uh, with two, John Brown with two. John Brown had two, two offensive rebounds as well, uh, scoring that uh, with 42 seconds, I think, remaining, or 45. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... The, you know Donatas Motiunas just just getting that getting down on the floor and somehow making that ball stay be alive stay mm-hmm. alive and starting a transition which led to a basket yeah so in a decisive moment of the game um mm-hmm. I think Monaco I think Maccabi should look you know will look at this game today and say we have to be more uh willing to you know fight for these 50-50 balls in, yeah. in game four if we want to win. Which were, which they were actually doing on a good level uh, in the entire series, but uh, that's a good point about Monaco's hustle. If, if you could compare their hustle in game one and now, that's that's a huge mm-hmm. and de- decisive factor that kind of pushed them to be in a situation with the advantage. And just one last stat that I wanted to emphasize, five turnovers for Mo- Monaco. Only five. In this in this crowd, under these circumstances, against I mean, such an aggressive defense of Maccabi yeah, as well, yeah, that's, that's that's why I said there. You know, I think it looks to me that they're adjusting yeah. to what Maccabi has thrown to them. And does this mean is is it time for Maccabi to you know try to put something even newer? Try it's to wrinkle their It's just time for Maccabi to make shots. <laughs> Lawrence Brown, <laughs> oh from five. Carlson, uh, one from four. Jarrell Martin four? missed all three shots. I mean. A lot of a lot of potential, and that's why I think that they're they're not going mm. to survive at all. So, or simply that's that. a great series. Or simply that, yeah, yeah. make make some shots and and play the same defense. Uh, and just just for the end, uh, our short reactions uh, about the World Cup draw. For me, the the whole draw <sighs> thing was quite random because it's it. First of all, it was already strange that we had this draw center ceremony just at the end of April. That's already weird. I mean, for me, it's just too late. Then we had this draw ceremony mm. on Saturday. So actually, I completely forgot about the draw because of the playoffs Same. and I have had some trips to my hometown. So, I mean, it kind of got off my loop uh, totally. But but yeah, we have a draw. And do you have any takes? I have some big winners and some losers. I think Italy and Serbia are the big winners they got into this the best bracket side of the bracket where they're basically if they're not doing anything crazy i don't see them not being in the quarterfinals we will have the first group of four two teams qualify then there will yeah. be a second round of a group principle again four. four two teams qualify and so from those eight teams in group a and b they are the only ones that i think can be in the quarterfinal i think angola dominican republic philippines South Sudan, China, and Puerto Rico, you know, with all the respect, could, but could be could be some surprises, but I just don't see them them here. Uh, USA, Greece in the same group should be an interesting matchup. You know, Yanis if yep. if he's playing, uh, and you know, 
our national team Lithuania will have probably to face off either USA or Greece without many important players without many important players to find out are we going to the quarterfinals or not so that's tough that's going tough. to be probably the now I just don't see them in the quarterfinals just mm. the competition is just too, so too you tough you see Greece on the other side basically we all agree that there's Germany Slovenia uh Australia and Finland is also as a dark horse. The that's way a they great group. I think group E: uh, Germany, Finland, Australia, and Japan. That's a tough group. NBA players, NBA players in each. Uh, mm, and Okinawa, in each team. So, uh, and then in Jakarta we have probably Spain, France, and then this uncertain situation with Canada. What kind of group they're gonna bring? And and Latvia. Biggest loser. A, biggest loser is Latvia. I mean. They were already <laughs> they were already losers since 2017 when they kind of you know due to the FIBA window system which didn't allow him, them to have Euroleague and NBA players they couldn't qualify to any major tournament and now it's their first tournament a big tournament in six years and th- and they get the group of um, all time finalists like France making the every final of the, uh, every tournament they play Canada. and Canada potentially with. NBA stars, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, for instance. So I feel so bad for Bralukas. And they probably feel bad for us, but yeah. It's only the draw. We'll have to see which players come. I think, uh, you know, participated in the tournament because Mm -hmm. I think with the Olympics next year, we could see some major losses to this tournament. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it's also important competition to get those Olympic qualification tickets. So. I can see some players, you know, saying, you know, I'm going to rest this summer and then, you know, try to be in the part of the Olympic team. Uh, By the way, any short thoughts on Embiid getting the MVP award? Uh, I... No surprise at all? No, I mean... Because of the voting. I'm not surprised because you could see that Jokic wasn't getting the third MVP just because it it would be the third MVP Mm -hmm. in a row. Uh, which is not fair, but anyways. I mean, all three picks, uh, Yanis, Jokic, and, and Joel Embiid, would have, mm. you know, they have their own arguments. Uh, obviously, Jokic has the advanced all the advanced stats in his part and the first seed in the Western Conference, and I think the last third of the season heavily influenced mm-hmm. the choice of, of, many, of many media members and, and other voters, so... Uh, I would my vote would have gone the other way, but I think uh, Joel Embiid deserves deserves the award just as much as mm. as Nikola and Yanis. Mm. Okay, and just on the on the last note, uh, many listeners might be shocked that tonight we will have uh, we will get to know a team that will join the Euroleague next year. I mean, tonight is the Eurocup final. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine? It I, feels was, like, I was thinking, what do you have in mind? I mean, <laughs> it feels like that, you know, EuroCup is organized by FIBA. And these are two competitive, you know, companies trying to host big <laughs> events at the same time that clash each Man. other. We have EuroCup final between Ankara, which I saw as my dark horse uh, for this yeah. whole EuroCup uh, playoffs, and then Gran Canaria. And then which at the same time, the basically, finals. oh, yeah. And basically, at the same time, we have Zalgiris and Barca, and especially Olympiakos Fenerbahce. And Eurocup finally is, 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 you know, <sighs> scheduled on the same night. It's just ridiculous for me. I just don't get it, really. I just don't get it. I don't see any explanation how it makes sense. 
there is no explanation. It's just another sign that nobody cares about the Euro Cup. Even the EuroLeague doesn't care about the Euro Cup at all. Really. How can you put them at the same night as the playoff series? Why you cannot wait for another week with potential game five uh, games excluded? Make it on Friday. Make it on Saturday. I don't care. I mean, yeah, there are it, so Friday, many ways to, to reschedule this game. I don't know what to say. This is not the first time, neither the second time. This is like the 15th time this year I'm hearing you making similar comments. And every time I hear them, I agree with you, you know. So <laughs> my first thought when you, were, when you were saying we are going to find out the team was like, are you really having a press conference today saying who will get the wild cards for next year? <laughs> Because just I'm just so concentrated on yeah. you on Euroleague playoffs, you know, and what we will have tonight and what we had yesterday. So I completely forgot that the Euro Cup final is also today. So maybe it's just us, you know, concentrating on the Euroleague playoffs yeah. much more. But maybe that's Ankara that, fans doesn't care about that's the playoffs. that's another also thing of why I think Sirius is much more interesting than than a single elimination game. Also because you have this attention. Mm-hmm. for two three weeks and it's all about matchup. attention span nowadays yeah. like the, there's a great example how nba keeps this attention the entire year even when the games are not played mm-hmm. that, that's their way of their success so again marshall glickman is not a big fan of the playoff series for the final four uh, instead of the final four so we might be you know just complaining about it for for many years talking to a wall yeah that's all guys Thank you. Thanks a lot for listening. This week, uh, I would say we might be uh, talking to you, talking to each other more than before because just of this crazy playoff series that we are having. So it depends on the outcome of the games we're going, we have moving forward. But, but yeah, that's that's a great reason, you know, to to jump in uh, for the pod uh, during this uh, great um, playoff time. So so see you very soon. Uh, press like button please subscribe our channel and also join our beyond plus community on basketnews.com slash plus